0: This is ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Russ Shaw. You are listening to Season 5 of the podcast, Dead Jew Walking, Episode number
1: 3. You wired me awake and hit me with the hand of broken nails. you tied my lead and pulled my chain to watch my blood begin to boil. But I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run.
0: missed you last week. Incredibly busy over here. Uh, I think I worked like 60 hours last week, which is far too much. All right. Uh, I'm I'm willing to admit when I'm a hypocrite. (laughs) Something I've said on this show. If you can't do it in less than 40 hours a week, you're doing it wrong. So, but... I'm binge-working, I think, to make up for time that I've taken off. Anyway, I'll stop making excuses for not putting up a podcast last week, and we'll get right into it, shall we? This is the Dead Jew Walking episode. Got a treat for you today with my guest www.deadjewwalking.com is the website. But before I get to uh, Hugh, I want to talk to you again about the start point code source. All right, to use those words. That is going to run throughout this season of podcast. That is G2P4E. Goodbye to pornography forever. Now, that's a starting point. That's like a seed, all right? If you're listening because of some kind of compulsive sexual behavior, write that down somewhere, maybe on a calendar. I'm not saying that you should carry a date, but I'm saying that making a decision is sort of like planting a seed in the ground. It is a seed of decision. It is a stake in the ground like I'm moving from here somewhere but I'm going to say this I'm going to start here and I'm going to write this code down because I believe that that will be a process to start a jump start a spark to change Um, that was a big spark in my life and I want to encourage you in that so g2p4e write it down Take a picture of it. Send it. Send me an email. Where have you written that down somewhere? Um, Russ at ASI247.org is the email address for this podcast. Encourage, um, I want to encourage you guys. I want you to also encourage others Hell, encourage me, right? I stand in front of this microphone. Sometimes it's good to hear from from some of you listeners that this thing is actually making a difference in the lives of uh, of people who are, are struggling and suffering with this, as I did. Uh, my uh, compulsion got really, really bad, and that's part of my passion for doing this is that you're not alone when I realized that I wasn't alone, it changed a lot of things, and this unpeeling of the onion the the uh, bulky matted hair on the dog started to started to shed and uh again, I just want to encourage you in that. ASI247.org is the website for this podcast. Would you like to be a co-producer of the podcast? Mm -hmm. Question mark. I don't have a Patreon account for this podcast because most people who listen to this podcast listen in secret. And I understand that. This is not the podcast that you tell all your friends that you're listening to. So yes, if you'd like to support a podcast that's not just about overcoming sexual addiction, but being honest about what's going on on the inside. If you're looking for a podcast that, yes, goes after that unwanted behavior, um, please, I'd love your support. Uh, Also, on the next podcast, uh, episode four of season five, I have two of my friends. We're going to come on the podcast, and we're going to talk about some 21st century thoughts and ideas on well-being and this idea of the flesh, right? How some of the helpful and unhelpful ways that the church, and when I say the church, I mean men and women who are in positions of leadership, how they may have skewed the translation of this word over the centuries. Uh, So subscribe. You're not going to want to miss that. Well, my friends and I try and untangle some of what that means in the 21st century. Not that it's chronological snobbery, like C.S. Lewis would say, but over the years there's been a lot of research done on the area of well-being and themes of law and grace in the Bible and how that plays out in culture especially here in the States, you know, in in Western culture, even across the world in the last couple hundred years, that is so important. And, And these two guys are guys I've shared tears with, all right? These are intimate brothers and friends of mine. And listen, no, we're not generally big criers as men, right? But it's funny how even with the toughest of men, we touch on subjects that are in the mind, but they cross that bridge into the heart. And usually what happens when that emotion floods across that bridge is that it, it starts to come out of our eyes. That's what tears are, right? And real men build bridges from their minds through their hearts, and uh, real men cry, all right? That's a thing, you know? If it wasn't for me struggling with this... I don't know if I'd have the deep relationships that I have today. I think I would have continued to be totally content with my friends who were, you know, talk about the weather, talk about the Seahawks, right? Talk about things that were just on the upper deck, right? When it comes to what was going on below in the hull of my ship where the treasure was, where the cargo was, where the plans for the voyage were, where the barnacles were eating through the hull and the rats were chewing on the floorboards. Yeah, I would have been content to just let that stuff continue to rot as well as pushing away those relationships over the years as well. Here's a good definition Of intimacy for you from a past guest, uh, Dr. Block, all that stuff that's going on in your head that a lot of us keep secret, all of all of that junk that's that's rolling around in there that you tell yourself that, that that the voice in your head keeps telling you about yourself all the time when you can take that stuff and put it out and share it with other people. That's that's intimacy. right. So getting getting to that with your friends is is a beautiful thing. Some open friends, all right? Some friends who have a different level of understanding than most, maybe. But uh, that's something I want to encourage you to, to do is check out the website. And if you would like to sponsor the show, man, I would certainly appreciate it. Um, keeping up with this thing, keeping it going, it costs money. And I hate asking for money. But, yes, uh, a donation or to be a monthly co-producer of the show use a nickname or something like that I will mention your name on the show Uh, I appreciate all of you who have given over the years and who continue to keep putting a a little gas money in the tank to have the ASI podcast keep rolling down the information superhighway my guest today is a man named Hugh Nemitz um walking in another man's shoes that's one of those things right don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his sandals right Uh, that's a very famous saying it has to do with empathy it has to do with getting outside ourselves a little bit and thinking on what it might be like to be in another person's shoes and for a moment imagine being a jewish man in tennessee um Imagine struggling with substance abuse, uh, compulsive sexual behavior, being an atheist, but having the the blood understanding of the Jewish heritage, and what it would be like to have an encounter that is very ex- experiencing faith, experiencing the divine. It's something I talk about on this podcast. Whether you're a believer or not, um, whether you're struggling with your faith, whether you're an atheist, I'm I'm glad you're listening. I have a treat for you in my next guest, just on the other side of, of this bumper here. That's another uh, thing I want to bring up. ASI247.org, if you go to the classic page, the old... Vintage 10 year old website for this podcast, and you click on the music tab, there is past music. There's a Spotify playlist. All the bumper music I play on this show, I try to have it listed so you can actually buy. There's even links to like the vinyl stuff like that. This season of shows does not have a music page yet because I'm looking for again a co producer, I'm looking for someone to help me financially in putting forth the time to uh, make that page available Uh, because it helps, right? It it helps with the music. It's cool to have a soundtrack to what's going on in your heart, mind, your life, this period of time, this season, so to speak. Uh, So yes, that's another thing. If If you've noticed that there is no season five, list of music uh, bumper music that's because I'm looking for a co-producer to help me with that so again asi247.org and yeah I'll stick your handle or nickname right there on that page as a contributor also I'm looking at doing the background of that page with I don't know sidewalk chalk or whatever you choose to write down the code g2p4e goodbye to porn forever all right that's that start code source code write it down put it somewhere remind yourself and i'd love it if you could send anonymously a photograph of where you've reminded yourself where you wrote that code down Uh, Just email it to me, Russ at ASI247.org, or there's a Facebook page for this uh, here podcast, and I have a Twitter feed. So all of that is on ASI247.org. Also, the survey page on the ASI website is up, and I have a new survey on there. And if you'd like to be on the show, it is a short little survey. I'd love to read your response to that survey on the podcast. I also have a new little podcast shortcuts of things that uh, listeners bring up, uh, emails that I get, that I get to respond to very quickly using SoundCloud with that feed, which is again, ASI's shortcuts, porn addiction, ASI's shortcuts. I'm also going to be reading, to, to give you a little teaser, um, the new survey is is only three questions three or four questions long so i'm going to fill out that survey uh, via audio right there on that feed very very soon so be looking for that on the porn addiction asi's shortcuts feed uh, in itunes Um, and i believe it's on TuneIn. i'm not sure if it's on stitcher yet but check it out um here we go on the other side of this bumper, the dead Jew, Hugh Nemitz. Well, you and I won't know, the house is on me
1: Yeah, you and I won't know, the ghost is on so me You used to kiss me in your bed sheets, just rattling your chains
0: Well, at the maybe, it didn't seem so strange
1: even when one is dead and gone, it still takes you to make a house of
0: Welcome, Hugh Nemitz, to the ASI podcast, uh, all the way from Jerusalem, Israel. Good morning. This has got to be the longest distance uh, podcast interview I've ever done. I, it is 10 o'clock in Seattle, Washington, and you're you are just waking up over there, right?
1: Yeah, it's eight o'clock.
0: Yeah, we're we're a, an hour from the late night talk show guys coming on. <laughs> so, Hugh, uh, give me a uh, a little glimpse into what it's like uh, in your day to day life um, over there in in Jerusalem. What's what's a what's an average day like for you?
1: Well, it's. Um i have an unusual circumstance but um, let's just say that uh, i don't i don't have a, a regular day job let's put it that way but um, i i get to i get to spend a, a good deal of time with my family um, i also making connections with people here i have it's important for me to establish especially men don't have a lot of I found living in Nashville before we moved here that a lot of men don't really have. um, They know a lot of people, but they don't really have a lot of friends. They don't have a lot of uh, people that are they're accountable to that they can really talk their hearts to. So one of the things I did with a core group of uh, friends was establish what I called uh, coffee talk time.
0: There you go. Yeah,
1: where we could just sit together, just the two of us, and not and and you know drop the drop the curtain. Right. Drop the thought and actually share our hearts with each other. There you go. And So that's one of the things we do here.
0: So I wanted to uh, talk about this book that you wrote a little bit, but I'm I'm more of a person guy, right? Like I'm not a book right. salesman so much as I am uh, a guy who's interested in the guy who gave birth to this work. So you wrote a book called "Dead Jew Walking," and. I wanted to touch on uh, a little bit about where your heart is in writing this book, and kind of get into to who you are as a person. So you're you're you moved from Nashville to Jerusalem. That's a uh, that's quite a move. What 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 yeah. spawned that on? What was that about?
1: Well, it's uh, in, in telling our story. It's uh, I always refer back to the comment because it's a it's a it's a long story in a short in a shortly written book it's only 134 pages but uh we had lived here to, to answer your question we had lived here in, in 1991 to 1990 to the end of 1994 uh-huh and my wife and i are are jewish mm-hmm. and we're jewish believers in yeshua huh. so some would call us messianic with whatever title that's that's who we are. Right. It's um, I really had no. I was an atheist before I was a believer, so I I had no contact to Israel at all, and no desire to come here. But um, the genesis of the book being written, it it was not my idea. It was God's idea, and it was really a direction from Him, uh, where He asked me if I would be faithful to to do what He's asking me to do, and it, it wasn't a. An easy process. I, I know some authors can kick out a book in in a week. I've heard those some miracle stories. But for two years, um, really, I struggled with uh, with writing this story in a, as a transparent fashion as I possibly could. It's not uh, some of it is walking with uh, with walking with the Lord, but it's also there's a lot of stumbling uh, that took place in my life. And um, I was faithful to, uh, I was as transparent as I could about pornography, about uh, the things that I stumbled through with alcohol addiction, nearly committing suicide, and, and a whole bunch of other things. But the genesis of the book being written, and our move to Israel, the birth of those two things coincided almost overlaid, almost identically.
0: Wow. So this book was a big, a big part of your story, as as far as the move is concerned.
1: Right. So we really felt in the back of our in in, my, in, our, in our hearts, Lisa, my wife, and, and my hearts, we we always felt that we would return to Israel. Uh huh. After, after immigrating here in 1991, and uh, we just had no idea how it would happen. It was uh, being a man; I, I tend to be. Uh, my wife is uh, the one with that's the faith warrior, so she has all the. It's like, she doesn't worry about the details. She just knows that it's going to happen. So, and I worry about all the details, and I have no idea how it's going to happen.
0: <laughs> all right, there you so, go.
1: The, the things that happened. Some of the things that happened involved as someone spray painting a swastika in the middle of our of our street on a country road. Oh man, uh, we lived live in a in a rural area and outside of nashville um all these these little signs were taking place slowly but surely and my wife asked me lisa asked me one day if if the lord told you that we were moving back to israel what would you say and i just like put my hand up and said stop (laughs) (laughs) i'm not ready to have a discussion and yet in less than six months we were we moved here. We left. We left America on our twenty seventh wedding anniversary, and here we are.
0: Wow. Um, you mentioned that through the process of writing the book and through the process of the pain that entails uh, addictive, compulsive behavior, um, birthed out this work. I want you to take me and and the ASI listeners, Hugh, to that. To that place where some maybe call it rock bottom, um, I would call it a turning point where you change direction in your life. Um, this is getting into a little public nudity on a uh, on a spiritual heart level, so to speak. But uh, if you could take the the ASI listeners to that place where it felt super dark and it was either like you said, you know, and I've been to that place too. It's it's suicide. Or my life's gonna change from here um, c- could you could you walk us to in through that place
1: yes so um, this is a let me take you back to 2000 the time period 2008 to 2010 but a, a few things happened that really pushed me to the bottom of that abyss um, we had a failed business that uh, ended up with us being sued for almost a quarter of a million dollars mm. we I was involved with. Uh, I had cracked the door open to pornography again after many years of being clean. Mm-hmm. I was closet drinking. I did not tell my wife; she had no idea that what I was doing. To to cover the pain, at the same time, my prayer life had all but disappeared. And um, and then one of the things that happened was the, the last straw really was uh, two months. In May of 2010, I found myself in a parking lot with my with my favorite uh, f- pistol in my in my hands, and uh, with a round in the chamber. And uh, I was sitting in a, in a mall, a darkened mall parking lot, and um, the voice that I was hearing was the voice of the devil telling me that how worthless I was, mm. and um, what a screw up I was, and all of these and. The only thing that he was encouraging me to do was put the gun to my temple of my head and pull the trigger. Yeah. And uh, obviously I didn't do that, but uh, I sat there for quite a while in contemplation of killing myself. And I didn't come home and tell my wife, this is, this is May of 2010. In July, July 19th, I'm a date person, so I always remember crucial dates in my life. Right. Uh, in July 2010, um, July 19th, I was on my way home, and the turning point was um, I had was not listening to Christian worship music at all. I was I was strictly rock and roll and classic vinyl and country and everything else. But but I downloaded a song by Casting Crowns that day called "If We Ever Needed If We Ever Needed You."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not know why I was so compelled to to um, download that to my iTunes. But I I would live 32 miles from my job, and on the way home sooner did I get in the car and I put it on my put my ear earplugs in and the earbuds in and turned it on and got on the highway and um, God used the lyrics of the song to just cut me.
0: All right. Get right so deeply mm.
1: so I cried all the way home mm. and asked for his repentance and I could hear him He was gently talking to me, saying, you know, I I said I was his son and that it was time to come home. And um, by the time it took me an hour and a half to drive 40 minutes, my normal 40-minute drive. I was just creeping along the side of the road trying to keep the car in the lane. And the cars were, the traffic's whizzing past me. And when I got home, I pulled the car up to the driveway and uh, slowly opened the door and I had both my hands were full of uh, these wads of soaked Kleenex and uh, Lisa in the meantime had been interceding for me for months, not nagging me, not telling me anything, just just on her knees day and night for our marriage, for, uh, for recovery and repentance and res- restoration. And she saw me and she said, what happened? Did you get fired? Mm-hmm. I said, and I was so, the, the word that, the, that had been given to me was so deep. And so it was like downloading a zip file. You know how long it takes to, after you uncompress a zip file, Yeah. how, how long it takes to print something like that out. And I was trying to explain to her what, what uh, the breakthrough that I had. It took me, but I asked for her forgiveness. And that was the turning point. Our marriage was restored. Mm. I was—I totally turned away from. On that day, I stopped thinking. I stopped. Uh, I stopped to just cut the pornography, made commitments to recommitted my life to the Lord, and um, that was the turning point. Though, July wow.
0: nineteenth, two thousand ten. Wow, that's that's awesome. And I wanted to point out a couple things from your. Your turning point there. Um, two things that, that, I, that really resonated with me in my story um, is, is that voice of shame and, and the way that the, mm-hmm. the devil in your head just tries to get you to go into that dark place. And it's always to devalue you. The, the the voice in your head that is devaluing you to the point where you feel just worthless like the world would be better without you i've been there too that is that is the voice of of satan and it is the voice of yeah, it's a sick voice of survival mode like I've, i i i remember being in a pastor's office and saying well, how could I? How could you say that I love myself? He was reading me that scripture that a man who, you know, a man who loves his own flesh loves his wife, and I'm like, I don't like myself. Like, why would I? I don't understand. And he said, well, he says even that that to get to the level of suicide, there's a certain kind of self love involved where you're right, like you're so wanting to end uh-huh. the pain that you would is sacrifice you would cause all of this horrible pain for your family for your friends just to end it inside myself and that's and to get to the the point of what i wanted to say where you touched me in sharing your story is that that devaluing point of shame and man it's a dark dark place but at the moment that's where that turning point started right
1: yeah, looking back, Ross. I mean, it's it was it was very. I wasn't thinking about um, my family. Everything that the that uh, the enemy of my soul was telling me had to do with me. It didn't yeah. have anything to do with uh, with my family. It was all about it was all about me. And right. uh, except for the fact that he said, "Hey, you have these big fat life insurance policies." You're yeah. Suicide would not keep your wife from collecting the money, so why don't you, you know, you pull the trigger and everybody lives happily ever after, and your and your pain is gone. And so just go ahead and do it. Don't think any more about it. Just just pull the trigger.
0: Right.
1: But uh, you know, all this time too, everybody people used to refer to us as the perfect couple. Mm-hmm. The lawn was perfectly manicured. Everything was in order in the house. But because of uh, my wife was uh, the only light in that house. It was a it was a dark place in those days. Um, I we had recently and we had moved in the last couple of years from South Florida, and I I hated. I felt like every decision that I had made was the wrong one, mm-hmm. and um, I was going through obviously going through a tremendous crisis. Uh, and at that time, it was. I hated everything, but um, as I mentioned in the book, the thing that I hated the most was myself.
0: You mentioned a chapter, Chapter 8, uh, Midlife Madness. Was that about this <laughs> time that you were you were talking about? Because a lot of guys, especially, you know, guys in their 40s, even as young as 30, I think I did a midlife crisis around my mid-30s, um, hmm. there, there's something to that, right? That, that feeling that life is passing us by, that... You know the existential kind of what's the point?
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I measured. I it, I think it's uh, one of the one of the things uh, mistakes that I think people can make, not just men but anybody, is measuring yourself by somebody else. God didn't make you somebody else.
0: That's right. He made you you.
1: So to measure yourself against somebody else's success, successes, and and uh, marginalizing your life. Or for me, I marginalized my own life, and that's where the enemy really comes in and says, "You're a failure. You didn't finish this. You didn't do this. Look at your friends. Look at their bank accounts. Look at you have a bigger house than yours, a fancier car, whatever. But you don't know what's going on there."
0: That's right. Yep.
1: And um, I think it's it's not uncommon to hear somebody whose life seemed to be perfect, and yet they, and then you hear that somebody committed suicide because of these things. I, I could not talk to, I, I felt like I could not talk to anybody. Nobody knew what was going on, Um. and yet uh, my, it was the darkest period of my life. And um, thank God for praying wise.
0: Yeah, and thank God for your long night drives with uh, downloading a different kind of music maybe, right? Uh, a message that impacted your soul and and god under the skin so to speak right
1: absolutely it's you know we say that god is the uh, in the hebrew uh king of, king of the king of kings or king of the universe Melech haolam god is uh, if, so if god is the god of the universe and that means he he is the uh, the master of everything even media even a message on a t-shirt a bumper sticker a, a license plate a a billboard a not just the Bible, but uh, a song. Yeah, Even, you know, just he speaks to us. The question is: Are we listening?
0: Exactly. There are no coincidences, right?
1: <laughs> no coincidence. What I call God incidences, or uh, my definition of a coincidence, is when God chooses to remain anonymous.
0: That's right. Um, another question that goes to the addictive side. Um, getting into that that point where so you talked about drinking pornography, I had more than one addiction too I, I I called it my chemical romances right and this the pornography the the sexual acting out the compulsiveness was more of a a behavioral numbing and it was relational there's something relational about sexual addiction there's a there's a relationship we're having with a screen with an image um, bring me to to some of that Hugh um for for people who may be struggling, what kind of fearful fantasies did you find yourself in and and you know bring bring us to that place where you saw this as a problem like this is no longer fun for me. This is these these fantasies these these images that are running through my head, um, a little bit scary, a little bit uh, life gripping rather than feeling free, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, as as a as a husband and a father. It's uh, well, first of all, my my father was uh, very lenient in regards to this. So um, from the age of fourteen. I was allowed with my father's blessing to have a have a subscription to Playboy magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is at the age this is 1971. Right. So it was uh and my all my friends thought my dad was the coolest guy around because he openly let let me have uh, Playboy subs, you know subscriptions and all of that but after com- becoming a believer in 1987 I walked away from all of that. And, um, during this midlife crisis, when I, when I cracked the door open, I, you know, the really the voice that I heard was, Hey, just take a peek. You can handle it. It's no big deal, yeah. you know? And at this time also in, in the the thing is that it radically changed for the worse. My, my personal, my intimate relationship with my wife, she, and she noticed it almost immediately that my, that that my behavior and the things that she noticed me looking at other women. Mm -hmm. She noticed, um, she's very perceptive and she caught and nothing got by her. She, she knew that something was terribly wrong. She just didn't know what, um, I thought I was hiding it really well until my, my middle daughter who at that time was probably 13, 14 years old. This is like 2008 now, okay? Mm-hmm. She, um, 2008, she was, no, she was like 16. But she actually was on my laptop, and she, she a picture popped up. She found a picture that I, I didn't know was on my computer. <laughs> and she like, turned the screen around, and my wife was standing there, and my daughter's standing there, and she says, "What? what is this, Daddy?
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that's a...
1: So again, I was thinking about myself and my self gratification, and getting something that I thought, you know, it's like you owe this. To, there's nothing wrong with this. You owe it to yourself. You know, it's, you're not hurting anybody.
0: Right. Um,
1: but that's that's really a terrible, terrible, uh, a terrible mistake that I made, and it, it did make a. It was it was a really terrible situation, and um, the thing that I came that eventually that I repented from. Was the understanding that I was committing adultery against my wife? Right. Jesus said, "Jesus said, whoever looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his mind." So it was a very hard thing to deal with.
0: Yes, and that's. That, I feel you when when you say you know, it's adultery. That's true. Um, we get to these points where we're repressing a lot of this sexual tension and it comes out in areas and a lot of it's relational. And yeah, our wives sense it. It's a um, friend of mine ha- had a friend who says, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm saved, but I use pornography because I just have a way higher uh, sexual appetite than she does. And, you know, we've come to this agreement and, and he believes that that's true but at the same time there's this energy there's this erosion going on that we don't realize that you're not connecting there's a there's a spiritual connection that something that happens sexually it's a, it's a kind of a it's a dance and it's a it's a feast at the same time and when it happens on a spiritual level it's it's that connection it's that you know I use the analogy of breakup sex or you know makeup sex, right? You get an argument, you have a conflict, you resolve the conflict, and you come together, and that's always usually really good sexual experience. But if we're using when we're using pornography, those that's just one tiny example. But those kinds of connections aren't happening. There we're like we're flooding ourselves out. This is the cause of erectile dysfunction. I mean, there's science on this that. Guys with erectile dysfunction, the reason you may be a three-minute warrior is because gratifying yourself only takes three minutes. And it's just a Mm -hmm. constant, ongoing, um, repetitive cycle. And we're Mm -hmm. not having to please anyone else but ourselves. And that's... I mean, becoming a man in in this day and age is so much more difficult. And I wanted to talk about your faith a little because I'm very curious about about Judaism, and I, I've been um, looking into and reading and, and studying on some of the Eastern Christians, the Desert Fathers, um, going back to, you know, back to pre-Catholicism, like way before the Protestant Reformation, there was, mm-hmm. you know, the people, the Jews, the that walked with Jesus. It's always been one of my contentions that, you know, something that you touched on earlier this sort of uh, shame detoxing that needs to happen with our relationship with our creator because, man, right. even religious people love to use shame to try and control others and to try and make us feel like they have all the answers and we should listen to them. And that some of that's very toxic. And some of it can just close us into that little ball, like you were saying. You and I have that same kind of... Uh, that same kind of passion to to get behind the counter with people, as I would call it, to to get underneath. Mm-hmm. You know, I see people as ships, and a lot of people are just they're they're in a ship, and there's a bunch of people running around on the surface on the top deck, and no one's coming down to visit the treasure in the hull that's on that voyage that's so important. So, um, so uh, tell me a little bit about um, your faith as far as going back to like first century. You know Christianity, as we would call it today. Um, it, I see Jesus as a historical figure more than I see Christianity as a religion. Um, so tell tell me a little bit about that. What kind of a uh, worship do you would you define that word in your life today?
1: Well, well, I will I will tell you. I will tell you, and I don't consider myself a theologian by any stretch, but I will tell you that uh, being an atheist until I was almost 30 years old, mm-hmm. and totally discounting religion in general, and Christianity, my, my Judaism was traditional, it was tradition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, was, it was. I grew up in a secular family, it's uh, my father having gone through uh, persecution in Russia as a young man, and then coming to America and... Being in the United States Navy and and knowing all about living through the the time period of the Holocaust as as an American you know an immigrant from Russia at that time, mm. but one of the things that uh, many Jews deal with, even today, is that they they celebrate their their observed Judaism. But when you ask them the question of, are they you know what? what's their, what do they really think about God? The, the, the 6 million person question often presents itself. And, uh, the question is, how can there be a God <clears throat> who would allow 6 million of my people to be slaughtered? Mm-hmm. So that is a, a question that is a stumbling block for me. What happened uh, was that I, I basically, I tried everything. I ran out of options. Mm-hmm. So, becoming a believer, I, I did not read the Bible. I saw the Bible lived out through the life of an ex-girlfriend of mine, uh, an ex-living girlfriend who did an 80-degree turnaround, and I saw the person of—I saw what Jesus did in her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, after her relentless pursuit and witness towards me, even in the face of my, my insulting her— um, in a backhanded way, mm-hmm. I came to understand the thing that really changed my changed my heart, and I'm not sure I'm answering your question, just giving you a little background here, is right. that um, when I understood, I never knew love like that before, and and before that, I had no, the night that I, that I became a believer, I read the entire Gospel of John. Um, I will tell you I had no I had no identity as a, no connection with Israel even though uh, My Hebrew school and temple that I grew up with was was very uh, connected to Israel. I had no Connection personal connection to Israel. I had no desire to no connection to to Judaism other than identifying myself as a Cultural Jew, right? a lot of Jews are okay with with their friends if, if other Jews are atheists they're okay with that if they if they're Buddhist or whatever, and they could still be Jewish. But when you bring when you bring Yeshua, you bring Jesus. Yeshua is his name in Hebrew. You bring him into the discussion, all of a sudden things change. It's a real spiritual battle. Mm. But um, I did not know until I started reading the Word that the Bible took place. Most of the most of the the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, New Covenant happened in Israel, that Jesus was, I knew he was Jewish academically, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know, because all the disciples, I've always heard of them referred to as Saint so-and-so, Saint, you know, Saint Peter, and they were all, they were all Jews. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: With the question of, you know, the question of of, uh, Luke, but because he was a doctor I think he was Jewish also <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. that's right yeah. so,
1: anyways but I was like oh my gosh this is this is such a Jewish book how come it's been hidden from me and I was always told you know New Testament we don't read that that's not that's a Christians book that's not our book but I discovered that all of the early church first second until the time of Constantine most of the church, what we call the church most of the early believers guess what yeah. they were all Jewish
0: they're all Jewish that's right yeah.
1: and, and uh believing in Yeshua was considered a part a, a sect called uh Haderech or the way yeah and um they were they were uh you know they were all Jewish and it just it just and it just blew my mind
0: so that must have been a, a, a huge kind of a culture sort of shock change in you, because I, living in Tennessee, you know, you're surrounded by the kind of Bible Belt evangelical sort of Christian. You know, it's it's branded. The church is much like a a club that that people attend on Sunday, and and a lot of you know even the artwork that comes from catholicism has been adopted a lot into protestantism and i'm sitting there i i i feel you too cuz that was a that was a thing for me it's like i always thought that jesus was starting this new religion like he was this white guy who kind of looked like a Heavy metal singer in the '80s, and and he was starting this new religion, right? And 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 that's not what he was doing. It was not a. He was fulfilling something very, very old. And I've said that a bunch of times on the show, but it's it's really getting past this, you know, the stumbling block of of what you were saying, like social norms in 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 evangelical America, right?
1: Yes. So
0: how how big of a. a cultural change was that in, in your heart. I mean, you talked about someone painting a swastika on on your road. Was there? it Was that? Did that have to do with some of that challenging some of that idea of religious Christianity?
1: Well, by the time we moved to Tennessee in two thousand six, I'd been I I became a believer in nineteen eighty seven. So that's almost nineteen years. That actually, it was just past nineteen years as a believer. And um, at my, I always identified myself more, uh, I wouldn't say more, my, my identity is found in Yeshua, but being, my, being Jewish is a big part of, of who I am, mm-hmm. and uh, really the fact that since becoming a believer, that part of my identity was really reinforced, not put on the back burner. Right. So when I and uh, by the time I got to Nashville, I'd already lived in Israel for four years. Had I'm a dual citizen, Israeli and American. And uh, but when I came to when I came to my new job, I found out uh, that there were two two sets, this dichotomy between people, especially starting with the ones I worked with, some people that were excited to know me as a as a another believer. Mm-hmm. Call it Christian. I, I tend to use believer more than more than Christian. Even though there's something, this for me, there's just something about it. But Christian is simply simply a follower of the Messiah. Yes. Yeah. Christ, so
0: yeah. But that has negative about. connotations in our culture today. Sadly, it's yeah. true. But here in the states, that's you know, you say Christian, most people think um, self righteous, uh, judgy. Grace right. and 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 peace do not do not you know mesh with those words at least here in my country you know today.
1: It's like the Bible lady that used to be on uh, SNL, you know. The, right.
0: Yes, yeah, Dana Carvey uh, doing the church lady.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So it was, I found that there were people who were excited and wanted to know more about my experiences, but there was another group of people that were like. Um, you're Jewish and you're you're Israeli and you're Jewish Uh, I actually had a guy take me aside that I worked with and he said to me if I were you I'd keep that to yourself
0: wow
1: which was a bit of a a surprise really but uh, and I find uh, in dealing with people I was a car salesman for 25 years Uh and I found in dealing with people uh, sometimes in negotiating a car deal um, I was, I think I was one of your, the few honest car salesmen,
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: but I was, my integrity was always more important than, than that particular sale. So I would never compromise my situation, but I would find people sometimes in negotiating, they would say things to me like, um, I don't want to Jew you down
0: right yes I've heard that term before yeah. and
1: it was uh, or even my old boss used to say like in in uh, sales meetings would I don't think he meant to cause any harm but he would say tell like a jew joke you know yeah. and that's sort of like uh, a white person telling a, a black joke yeah. or a straight person telling a gay joke it's not they you could do it to each other if you're the same but you don't do it to to another another group so, I struggled with that and uh, of course I, I wor- I worked uh, I moved through I moved through that in forgiveness and never really confronted him but, but it was a big shock even on our I didn't know that anybody in our community on our street because you had these high acreage properties and uh, country setting and to be walking on the street and it was actually our youngest daughter that noticed this swastika. It wasn't hard. It was it was hard not to miss. Um, it was hard to miss because it was about a yard across in the middle of the road, about about a hundred yards down the street from us, and um, that was a bit of a a bit of a surprise, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's
1: unpleasant surprise.
0: Yeah, that's just downright racism, you know, and it's it's still <laughs> but a... we do.
1: Yeah, I, I do want to say, Russ, that uh, that I I was privileged and still am privileged to know many people in Tennessee that stand with Israel, that love the Jewish people, that uh, Tennessee is one of the. They have a, a House of Representatives resolution. I think the it's number 192 or 792 that was passed with the uh, with the tremendous uh, push by Lori Cardozo Moore from. Uh, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, which is headquartered in Franklin, Tennessee, and some other uh, uh, affluent and uh, influential people that uh, are believers and lovers of Israel that uh, really push for a resolution where the state recognizes uh, the legitimacy of Israel, that seeks to do business with Israel, to support on every level commerce, spiritual, every, and uh, stand with Israel right so israel uh Tennessee was one of the few states to one of the first states to actually implement that and uh, I'm proud to say that uh, that was a state that that we that we lived in as well
0: yeah that's that's awesome, and people need to re- realize that we're all we're all just the same getting through this life and and yeah we start to break down people groups and call one more negative than the other I remember I've been in sales too I was in sales for 25 30 years and I remember Mm -hmm. I remember a young guy using that term you know jewing someone down and I had to pull him aside and say hey man you know that's not okay right like I said (laughs) that's a derogatory term and I and he I laughed because he he I saw his eyes widen up like oh my god what did I say like he didn't it's so sad that in culture, those words are used so much that he's just like, ah oh, you know, really? You know, he didn't know that that was a it's just thrown around like it's nothing. And it is something like he wouldn't say that about a black person today. You know, I mean, it's so, yeah, I, I, I get you. It's it's something we need to be aware of and and value our fellow neighbors. um whatever color they are, whatever race they are, whatever religion or sexual orientation. Yes, I'll say it. (laughs) Evangelical crowd. You know, we're supposed to love people. Jesus taught that. You know, that's part of the big idea of the Bible that a lot of us tend to miss.
1: That's right.
0: At this stage of of life, Hugh, um, in this moment in time, what would you say... Would be your biggest strengths, and and your greatest weakness at this point in your life. Um.
1: Well, that's a uh, that's a good question. It's uh you know continuing to, well, I will tell you that uh, I have a spiritual dad. Is uh, he's well known in the Nashville area and even uh, bigger areas. His name is Don Finto. He uh, used to be the pastor of Belmont Church and is an author, speaker, the head of... He started an organization called Caleb Company. The man is 86 years old. Wow. And uh, walks in, in strength perfectly perfectly healthy, walks the staircase, travels wherever he goes. He walks the staircase, not the elevator. Um, he travels the world bringing... A very, Caleb Companies are pro-Israel uh ministry teaching believers about about uh their connection to Israel
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what the bible has to say and uh one of the things that he said he's been asked numerous times he's been a believer since uh he's a teenager and he's he gets asked how do you finish the race with such strength and he said well it's 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 nothing fancy. It's very simple. I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Then I take a step. Mm. So I uh, that really resonated with me. So for me, every day that I live, I desire to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on Yeshua, and take a step forward. Look for those divine. One of the things Lisa and I pray for Daily is divine appointments. Mm-hmm. That uh, we believe that uh, we're surrounded, that everybody is surrounded with divine appointments. It's just a question of what are you looking at? Mm-hmm. Are you looking for those divine appointments? Or are you looking in the mirror? Or are you looking at the ground because you're having a bad day instead of looking up? Mm-hmm. So, um, my greatest strengths would really be uh, not in myself, really, uh, in the Lord. And uh, I recognize that the word says that uh, when we are weak, that that He said is strongest. So, really I, I confess even to you that I'm I'm a weak guy, just uh, wanting to do God's will and keeping my eyes fixed on Him as much as possible. Work on my prayer life on a on a daily basis because that can get away from us. Um, and I would say also that that is also one of my greatest struggles is to to have a consistent prayer life because time can get away from you mm-hmm. can get away from me with the list of to-dos the things that we feel that are necessary and somehow my time with him gets pushed to the back burner yeah so that's my prayer life can either be one of my greatest strengths or my greatest weaknesses depending on me and how seriously and how I prioritize my, my day.
0: Yeah. I've noticed that in my own relationship with God is that it's sort of like my relationship with my mom or my dad. It's, it's one of those things that relationships are so incredibly important, and our relationship with our Creator is, is, is very much like that. Um, it was being conscious of spending the time and taking the time to, to be still and to just be with Him um to pray and and think on and and meditate breathe be conscious about our own our own lives our own bodies what's what god has to say to us i love that you said that about about following jesus right because that's always the good Christian answer, right? Yeah. Well, I follow Jesus. That's my strength, you know? But what you said about being conscious in that. So there's something to following. There's something to saying those words, but there's something to also being conscious of the grace that we're given every day and walking in that and being aware of people around us. Like you're saying, it's, you know, there, there are no coincidences. It's it's. It's so easy to get so afraid and stressed out about our current situation to that we miss, you know, opportunities to, to love other people, to speak life and truth. And, and uh, I appreciate that, man. Um,
1: you know, Russ, one of the things that uh, the Lord has showed me over and over again, and I don't know if you're familiar with, there's a devotional called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young.
0: No, I'm not familiar with that one.
1: It's it's a it's a little devotional. It's uh, it's really. I suggest it for anybody who's looking for a good devotional. Where it's a three minute word, but it really speaks like, from the heart of the the
0: Father. That's great. That was my right. next question: yeah. is you, uh, name a great book that's touched your heart and helped you? So that's that's good. What was the name of the book Thank again?
1: Jesus, Jesus Calling. Okay. By Sarah Young. But one of the things that. The, the theme that constantly, it's about, the book is all about practicing, practicing the presence of the Lord. Mm. And um, the reminder that uh, how often do we really have a conscious uh, intentionality of realizing that um, the Lord said that he would never leave us or forsake us mm-hmm. and that he would always be with us. That's right now that can either be a tremendous uh, encouragement you know do not be discouraged or dismayed I am with you mm-hmm. Jesus promised to be with us even to the ends of the age now what a tremendous tremendous encouragement it is and at the same time we need to remember with, the, with our thoughts and our actions wow would we do that would we watch that would we say that if we remembered that the Lord is right there with us. Yeah, He's there with us. No, oh, yeah. it's not like we're. It's not imaginary. He's He's with us right there. Mm-hmm. So it can either be ter- terrifying, or uh, tremendously encouraging, or both at the same time. It's like wow, I need to remember Lord, the Lord is right here with me. Yeah. So
0: exactly. And I would also add to that, as a guy who lives in Seattle, but which is not the most. uh Religious place in the world <laughs> um yeah. I think that uh, the part of this is realizing that we are amongst people that are thirsty we're in we're in a very thirsty time, and if we could step back away from you know our our judging so much and actually have a little fun with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers they may be more apt to open up to us and to and apt to have a conversation with us. Actually, and this is something that's happened to me is where they'll ask me questions that they wouldn't normally ask their guy buddies, right? They're kind of here in Seattle, we call them the Seahawks friends, right? Um, the guys you talk about football and the weather with, um, you get into conversations with people over a beer at a bar, for example, and a guy might just tell you that his marriage isn't as good as he makes it out to be um right. yeah, so it's 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 loving people like that
1: you know, and also the question is i mean look around, ask your friends how many of your neighbors do you know?
0: yeah, that's true.
1: I mean with very few exceptions I can count on one hand the number of people that the number of friends of mine that I know who actually know their neighbors not just their names but know their situation have actually gone to them and, and incur, you know and, and just introduced themselves yeah. in many cases none these people known that these people lived there for years yeah um, but one of the things that we do is wherever we are um, whether we're shopping at a gas station, a car washer, or, or I always make it a point, uh, a waiter or a waitress, what is your, what's your name? Because more often than not, these people are used to being treated just like they're just a service person and the people that they're waiting on don't really care to know who they are or what they are. But um, I always make it a point and, um, to ask them what their name is and tell them it's nice to meet you. You know, yeah. It's nice to meet
0: you. Yeah, make eye contact, um, and, oh, yeah. and yeah, me I've too. And I, I nail it.
1: Change. Yeah, yeah. You and know, I, we, we are supposed to be witnesses. You know, we're supposed to. I'm supposed to be a witness.
0: Yeah, salt and Jesus, light.
1: Salt and light. And what does that mean? Does that mean on Sunday, <laughs> yeah, my, my my 90 minutes in congregation? Or... Or when I go to the, the local prayer room or whatever, no, it's the people on the street that need to see, whatever it is that we carry as believers. They need to they need to see that. They need to feel that. And that's that's whether I'm in Jerusalem or whether I'm in Tennessee. That's that's one of the things that that I feel charged to do yeah. is to is to carry that the same way it was carried to me.
0: Yeah, and I would I've say that. That is absolutely one of the things that more Christians that struggle with porn um, or spiritual people, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, so many people spend so much time trying to bounce their eyes, trying to not look at that material, trying to keep the disciplines right going. And and some of the stuff that you're saying, like when you start to be in tune, when you start to be present in this world amongst hurting other people around you, you watch how that stuff just starts to shed like hair off a dog. Right. I, I used to scoff at that back in the day, but it is so true that, you know, there is a kind of anxiety around trying to keep our behaviors all in order and in line. And we just get stressed out about it and then relapse because we're so focused on ourselves.
1: Right. You. That, that's right. That's right. It's, um... You know what? And there was a time after I went through my midlife crisis and was uh, what I call a secret agent Christian. Yeah. (laughs) Like nobody knows that you are one.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Because nothing that you're doing or saying that would indicate that you're any different than they are.
0: Right. But when that
1: changed and I started coming to my job and telling people um, about the really the message, not the. Not not religiosity, but the but the message and letting them see it see it through. Not preaching to them, just saying, "Hey, man, how you doing today? What's going on? I'm praying for your situation. I'm praying for. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what you're going through, and I'm um, praying with you. Is, do you need anything?" And uh, I used to come home from my job and and I tell my wife, I tell Lisa, you know, it's like I don't think anybody's listening. Yeah, but they are. The thing is. <laughs> that um, the thing I want to tell people is that people are watching you. They are listening to you. Yeah. They may not show it at the time, but uh, when I was I'm coming up on my fourth anniversary for nearly uh, near death experience and spending a month in the hospital. And uh, I found that um, those people at my job when I was able to to go back to my workplace and, with my wife and, and daughter and uh, visit and just say hello to people that they would tell my wife things that I didn't even know that had made an impact. Wow. They would, yeah, they would say things like, you know, Hugh, when I was going through this, Hugh was there when I was going through that, you know, whatever it was and telling these anecdotes about things that I had no idea had impacted their life, but it did. So that was really, um, that was really a tremendous reinforcement. They were they were encouraging me just to, because you wonder, hey, is anybody out there? Is anybody actually listening? Um, but we carry a message one way or another. Um, Eric, uh, you know who Eric Little was, the chariots of fire?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So one of the things, one of his quotes, uh, I think it was his quotes anyways, uh, was that he said, we're all missionaries. The question is, are we, are we drawing people to Yeshua, or are we driving them away from Him?
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: So, regardless of what you do for, that creates a paycheck, or what you do in your avocation, vocation, and whether we realize it or not, we're all missionaries one way or another. Yeah. So that also figures into, back to the question of what's your greatest strength or weaknesses. And who and and who I am, or who I try to be, yeah. I'm not always as successful as I'd like because because I'm a, I'm just a human being. But these are the things that drive me.
0: Right, that's that's good. And wrapping up before I, I let you go, the the book is called uh, Dead Jew Walking: A Jewish Man's Journey from Death to Life." Um, I love that title. I love uh, death to life stories, Hugh you mentioned having a near-death experience uh, rather recently um, talk about that a little bit and then give us uh, maybe the person who's in the that dark place in their in their addiction where they're just totally frustrated they've relapsed six hundred thousand times they're they're very sick of being controlled by this. Um, Give us that. Give us that uh, death to life. Uh, one, p- if you had just a few minutes, a a, a few, a little time of presence to, to speak some life into to that person's situation, um, what will you say? And and uh, then we'll we'll end our time here.
1: Okay. Well, we're coming up on our fourth, my fourth anniversary, July 29th, another July date. I was rushed to the emergency room of a local Nashville hospital. And uh, the short story is, I was sent home. The next uh, 36 hours later, I was back at another hospital where I was diagnosed with, uh, after days of them trying to figure out what was wrong with uh, an infective uh, heart disease called infective uh, endocarditis, where basically a bacteria is eating away at the interior of your heart. Man. Uh, I also had a, had a uh, MSSA staff uh, staph infection that's resistant to uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, each of these had a 20% survival rate mm-hmm. individually. I had both of them at the same time. And uh, in fact, the, the doctors had told my wife confidentially that uh, not to leave the hospital and to call my family that I was not expected to survive. Oh, man. But she did not receive that. Anyways, I spent the next 28 days underwent heart surgery. Um, lost, lost a good portion of my hearing, and um, but at the same time, uh, as I was recuperating, obviously I'm here and God is good. And uh, I, I uh, went through a what's, uh I had blood clots in my brain, so I had some situations where the the thing that the what I describe it as is that God shuffled my deck a little bit.
0: Yeah, um, I'd say
1: the way that. It, Yeah, the way that I think is is different than it used to be. It's um, when I get tired, I lose the ability to really carry on a a conversation very well. And I I do tire easily. Um, My battery life is uh, short during the day and I need to rest a lot. But um, anyways, the uh, I came through that and uh, during the time I was in the hospital was I was able to, I ministered to a lot of the people that were supposed to be taking care of me. God actually used me to minister to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, I came away from that understanding that, um, life is short, mm-hmm. that it can be, that we're not even granted. We make big plans, but the truth is we don't even know where, where our next breath is coming from other, outside of the grace of God Yeah, that's true. and, um, you know the question that I ask many people, Russ, is that if you were told that you had a month to live, a week, a year, how would you how would you govern your life? Hmm. How would you govern your life? And and speaking to those uh, finally to speaking to those who uh, are in the midst of the darkness and um, feeling hearing the voice of the devil telling you that you making, just working on that, that making you feel ashamed and making you feel that there's nobody who understands that you're going through and that you're alone. Mm -hmm. There, there absolutely is hope and you're not alone, first of all, and, uh,
0: yeah, that's number
1: one, man. You are not alone. You're, you're not alone. And, um, you know, repentance and refresh, refreshment starts with repentance, so, on a very personal level that's where that's where it started for me is that my repentance to the lord not playing not splitting hairs or playing mind games with god who knows uh, you're not telling him anything he doesn't know
0: that's right yeah so what
1: he, what he wants us to do is to come clean be honest with him yeah and to recognize our own weaknesses and it starts from there find people that uh, I would even say ask, you will find that many of the people that uh, that your listeners or listeners would, would know, many of the people that they know who think are not, that are clean, you know, not part of the pornography uh, problem, is that I would say over 70% of them are somewhat involved because of self, our phones, our smartphones, with computers, and etc. There's a great level of exposure. It's not just with men. Yeah. Um, but there is, you start by, I, th- I think accountability has a great deal to do with this.
0: Yeah.
1: And finding somebody that you can really trust, who, uh, that you can keep each other's uh, conversations, keep each other accountable, have some sort of uh, confidentiality, and sh- but share with each other, openly pray with each other, yeah. and um, I would really say that first and foremost it's to be honest with with uh, with our Creator God with the father who already knows what uh, he knows what you're involved in and he's not ashamed of you
0: yeah no that's yeah.
1: that's a very important point for me is that God is not ashamed of me
0: yeah
1: and he he knows the he knows the promises that he he had I mean he gave them his promises to me. Yeah, and uh, he sees the potential that we can, that he has for us, and w- and wants to do everything possible for us to fulfill that.
0: Yes, that's absolutely right. And you know, there's the guy I, when you were talking about that. I, I think of pastors, and I've been contacted by pastors over the years doing this show, uh, Craig Gross. My friend down there in California has a whole ministry for pastors online to open up to—it's um, a group type of setting online where, where pastors can be anonymous and can talk about this stuff. And it's so important because you see there's some people that are sitting in church listening to the pastor who is uh, out there hellfire and shame, and a lot of that times that guy's talking to himself. And we don't realize it until you start to tune into some of that energy that's coming from that guy. And you're right; you you can you walk into a place and you can sense a different a different consciousness to a place where people are honest. And like you said, I love that that point in in scripture where where Paul is talking about right the thorn in the side. But he uses that term, and I use it today. And and it's weird how it's almost like, oh, he said that, but I'm I'm quoting this piece of scripture that says, "I'm going to walk in my weaknesses. I'm going to make a big deal about my flaws." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's almost that's countercultural a lot of times, but I think it's also being salt and light with people when we can be honest about our flaws and our weaknesses. Um, Hugh, thank you so much for writing the book. Um, any closing uh, points of, of guidance, real quick, before we we cut this off.
1: Well, I wanted to mention was just about the book. If anybody is interested in getting a copy, just uh, if I can just say that it's available on uh, my website, which is simply www. or Amazon. Yeah. Or um. Or the Kindle version for our Kindle readers. You can; it's available on Kindle as well. And uh, I will say that uh, that everyone who reads it, I'm warning the audience: once you once you open it up, you won't be able to put it down.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, it is your story, uh, man. It's a it's a story, and it's it's your story. It's a great story, and it's not the the usual Christian-y kind of message. It it almost comes no, with a little intimidation <laughs> of the title. And I love that about you, man.
1: There, there is something There's something for everybody in there, whether your struggle was uh, it touches on abortion, suicide and drug use, atheism, backsliding, marital and familial dysfunction. I mean, it, it the Lord allowed me to uh, gracefully hang my dirty laundry out there because we all Um, they're they're common they're common threads and struggles and uh, God is is bigger than all of that at the end of the story that's right uh, in spite of myself God is bigger than all of that
0: that's right amen brother thanks for uh, thanks for being on the podcast uh, Hugh and uh, again uh, from Seattle to Jerusalem this is Russ Shaw and Hugh signing out Um, there goes Hugh Nemitz man I love guys like that the book is Dead Jew Walking a Jewish man's journey from death to life his website is again www.deadjewwalking.com I'm going to lead out with that song that Hugh had the encounter with in his Dark Night of the Soul Love you guys. I mean that for real. Till next time. Bye. Here I cry. Lord, we
1: pray. Our faces down. Our hands are raised. You called us out.
0: We turned away. We've turned. faith yeah.